This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. This episode addresses hard topics like eating disorders, sex, and mental health disorders. So it may not be suitable for young listeners or people on the path toward healing. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your delighted host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome so much to the show. Golly, I'm so glad you're here today. This episode is, it is so lively and interesting and just was tickled and super smitten kitten with today's guest. Okay. So let me back up right now. We're in a series. It's called for the love of dating, sex, and relationships. Probably no big shock why I wanted to have a series like this. This is where I'm at in my life. I am in dating, sex, and relationships. So thus we are now having a series about it. And it's been so interesting. We've talked to so many different people with different ideas across the spectrum of dating and singlehood and marriage and bodies and we're not just trying to hit one note here, right? We're trying to really keep it sort of comprehensive. And so as a whole, this whole series has been so instructive and I hope is illuminating to you as it has been to me. Like, honestly, I understand that I get to use my own show to explore topics that are relevant to my own life, but I'm always hoping and pretty sure that those subjects reflect where so many of you are as well. And being in this, new, pretty vulnerable world of post-divorce plus dating and relationship and all of it. 
It's so great to have you as a community to wrap our heads around all of this together. And I know that we are because you're telling me your stories. You're telling me where you're at in your life. You're telling me all the me too moments that I'm sharing that you can identify with. And so I know that tons of us are in this together. Now, frankly, I don't know the rules of dating, as you know, and honestly, I don't care. Tyler, the wonderful man in my life right now, you know, he saw this quite early in our dating relationship, which you've heard me tell the story when I was just like, we're just talking and talking. And by the way, excuse me, we were talking a lot. So let's not act like he and I were talking in some normal human way. And I was overreacting. Like, excuse me, do you talk on the phone to a person for three hours? You don't like we were just like, we were talking in high school, but you know, we were many conversations deep into that sort of like, oh my gosh, it's two in the morning. Why are we still on the phone? When I finally just said, okay, so what's happening here between us? Like, what is this? Like, do you like me? <laughs> and he was like, oh my gosh, he couldn't even really answer even a day because <laughs> apparently he's just not used to being that on the nose about something. I guess you're supposed to play it coy. I don't really know. I don't, like I said, don't know, don't care. Anyway, it worked out. So in my define the relationship moment, we obviously know that there are unsaid, but also widely understood rules in the dating world. But you know, whatever, man, I'm just decided that what I care about in my, at this stage of my life is clarity and honesty. And I don't even have game. I wouldn't even know how to play one. So I'm thinking a lot about what it means to love again these days, right? Particularly out of the newfound strength of recovery and learning the joy of my own freedom and my own power, feeling really comfortable in my own skin, not literally not needing another person to make it all right for me, that I'm just delaying my own happiness until I've got a relationship. That is too much pressure to put on any one person. So getting to meet Tyler from a place of security and wholeness has just been, well, it's like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. Now, what does it look like to open yourself back up to someone, right? To open yourself up to the risk of love because there's a chance that it turns out beautiful and there's a chance you will get your heart broken again. What does it really mean to be known by somebody? which is a big deal. And we share that. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you've been married forever. I don't care if you've never been married. I don't care if you're divorced, if you're dating, whatever it is, we share this need to be known. Like I've talked about this online, how worried I was last year about no one ever knowing me. Like I was married for 26 years. That's a very long time. It's literally my entire adult life. And some of those years weren't even adult since I was a 19 year old bride. I was, those are 10 years too. So just having somebody at that point be the keeper of every adult thing about me felt like a really scary and sad thing to lose alongside the marriage. It was all this institutional knowledge. And I'm like, God, who will ever know me like this again. It's, you can't manufacture that many years of experiences and, and knowledge. And, but I told this story recently about being in Nashville, staying with Tyler and, you know, excuse me, he has a whole book called, I take my coffee black and right in his refrigerator is my absolute favorite garbage almond joy coffee creamer. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, wow, you can be known again. You can, even in the small little things. And 
surprising to me is that it can be delightful to experience all these old things with a new person and watch them discover you and you discover them. I didn't even know that was going to be wonderful. I thought that was going to be a burden. Okay. I'm diverting right now. I'm diverting into some relationship space because my guest today, among her many, many charms is that she also kind of went through a pretty public forward-facing divorce and then found love again and remarried during the pandemic. And so we share that story and becoming known by a new person, knowing a new person is like a possibility that I didn't know could actually be wonderful. So our guest this week, now look, she makes jokes for a living, but you will see this. She does not flinch from the hard conversations. In fact, she is so like lovely about them. She leans into them. She several times during this interview, she'd be like, that is such a good question. I feel so lucky that I get to answer that. And I mean, we were dealing with like deep topics around like faith and sexuality and gender and expectations and religion and marriage and divorce. So I asked this person to be on the show because I wanted to laugh, but I also wanted to connect the dots with them on moving from loss and grief into the surprising joy of like learning yourself again with a new partner who delights in those every little piece of you. And so my guest today is Cameron Esposito. Oh, if you know her, you love her. She's an actor, writer, podcaster. She's a stand-up comic. She began her career first by acting the male leads in her elementary Catholic school plays, LOL. She was undoubtedly good. These are her real strengths and skills. And she's since gone on to create and star in her own TV show. She's had roles in mainstream and indie films, headline stand-up tours, literally around the U.S. and the world. She currently plays the lesbian love interest on A Million Little Things on ABC. Massive show, a major show, like an incredible opportunity for her. She recently wrote her first book called Save Yourself which became an instant bestseller, which tells her story of growing up queer and gender non-conforming in a deeply devout Catholic community as a deeply devout Catholic person, which you'll hear her talk about in the show. Her podcast, Query, hosts LGBTQ luminaries and has inadvertently become a beloved archive of sorts for the queer community and their stories. She even raised $100,000 for RAIN, the U.S.'s largest anti-sexual violence organization, when she released her stand-up special, which is just amazing. You know, that's so meaningful to me. She is using her influence and her notoriety for good. Oh, I enjoyed this conversation so much. I wanted it to go on. I I think I made it last too long and I am just a huge fan. So I don't think it needs to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. We are beyond thrilled to welcome Cameron Esposito to the For the Love family today. So without any further ado, y'all enjoy this delightful conversation. Cameron. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm so happy to meet you. Thank you for my tiny round of applause. <laughs> really, that is, you know, as a stand-up comic, that is how I know it's time to start. Like that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how I, <laughs> like, oh, got it. Okay, I'm at work. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> or the absolute lack of applause means it's time to end. That's oh, it. Oh, boy. Oh, uh-huh, boy. Yeah. That is a tough one. Sometimes even a set's going really well. 
but then in my mind I can think like here's going to be the big closer and there's nothing planned for after that and usually you can kind of like with a little timing and effort land it regardless but there are times where hey have I ever said that was the end yeah I have I've said (laughs) I I don't have that was the end I don't have any other stuff so gosh like I'm not a comic but I'm a speaker and I do a lot of funny storytelling so I know what it's like to stand in front of a crowd with a story with a punchline with that one thing that I wrote and I'm like this kills this sentence kills like if I heard this I'd burst out laughing and then it's that moment when you try it out for the first time in front of the first crowd and it's just like it's crickets like the whole room is silent and it'll even sort of reverses from you a little bit. Everybody's like, Oh no, we didn't like it. Like we didn't like it. We we're not here for it. And it, it's just a certain kind of little tall, small internal death is how so that for, <laughs> yes. personality wise. Here's a question. Will you then try that again and again until it works? Or will you say bye-bye and throw it in the trash? That's a really good question. So it's probably a combination of both. I'm going to assess the audience. What city am I in? What's this region? What's this demographic? I might've stepped on some geographical toes that would just slay in New York. It's just not going to work here in Minneapolis, right? And so I try to like gauge where I'm at, but also the audiences are usually right. They're usually right. That's so funny. And also, by the way, almost nothing slays in New York. Because that is, to me, the worst point. place to perform in the whole planet. God, because it's so because they've seen everything. Uh, they right. saw everything on the way to the show. You're they exactly saw, right. like, trained rats playing in an orchestra in the subway. Uh-huh. So it d- right. literally doesn't matter what my stories are. Just you, you get, cannot get out of here. a New Yorker. You cannot. <laughs> get out of here. No, they're unimpressible. Yeah. They're like, exactly. look, we saw Amy Poehler when she was just hustling down on the corner. Okay, you're not that funny, Jen Hatmaker. Okay. I'm so happy to meet you. I have so many questions for you. Let's start here. You grew up Catholic. You have a theology degree. That's very weird and random for, this is such a random set of um, (laughs) things that you have on your resume, even pursued. And we're going to get to this, like becoming a priest during the pandemic. And so I want to start with some of this framework. You've talked about having a a tough coming out experience during college. You walked entirely away from faith or spirituality for a while, understandably. Frankly, you and I could spend our entire time talking about this because I originally came up also through a faith space and have had much movement from that little tidy epicenter from which I sprung. So I'd love, if you wouldn't mind, talking for a few minutes about... What did your like sort of deconstruction of faith look like for you then? And what does the reconstruction of it in whatever way that it has been or is or isn't look like now? I'd love to hear your process on this. A lot of people that listen to this podcast are somewhere in the spectrum of like, this is what I was handed and taught when I was a baby kid. This is where my cognitive dissonance was or my personal traumatic or painful experience. These are the questions I'm like in now. This is where I'm at. We're kind of in this place. So we'd love to hear your story if you wouldn't mind sharing it. Gosh, I mean, the first thing I'll I'll say is that I just feel like I can't believe that I can't believe blessed, lucky, privileged, whichever word you want to use, that I get to sit here and answer this question as a part of my job. That's so amazing. So many people are 
dealing with this and nobody ever asks or sitting with this and don't really have an outlet for that. So that's like my initial reaction to just being asked that question is like, yeah, wow, that's, that's like pretty it. amazing. And the next thing that I'll say is, yeah, I was super, so I was raised really, really Catholic. And then as soon as I could, wanted to get more involved, you know, as like an altar server, which is like that priest assistant person. And I would go to do mass to serve mass like before school when I was like a little kid, you know? So it's like that level of commitment early. And then when I got to college, you know, many people in college are experimenting with various freedoms. And I was too, I was dating a woman for the first time secretly, but then I also was going to daily mass. I was a Eucharistic minister, which is like you hand out the host and lived in Rome for a while. I mean, I was, I was, really committed. And I think the thing that initially worked on me was just like, I did like reverence. I did like ritual. I did like being together. That's what I think I liked as a little kid. Then as I started to actually study, I liked the like leftist punk rock sort of mystical Jesus, who I still think is a pretty cool guy or set of people <laughs> that like, you know, I mean, I, I can't read Aramaic. I don't know what was really said. I wasn't there in the Middle East, but the idea that like peace and joy are at hand and connecting with each other and speaking truth to power are important. Like those things never left me. So when I was coming out and then the Catholic church was also going through the sex abuse scandal that then was written in the movie Spotlight is about that time in Boston where it was like the front page of the Boston Globe every single day. And it, that's where I lived. And I was at Boston College. Boston College bought land from the Archdiocese of Boston. Oh my gosh. That that sale went to pay the victims, the oh, survivors yeah. of that abuse. Oh, that gosh. happened the year after I, I graduated. So like wow. that was the climate of where I was at. Just a school that like I thought had been teaching me one thing and then the sort of higher level like backdoor processes were so different from this thing that I believed in. So I left like heartbroken and then this is when I really committed hard to comedy because <laughs> weirdly comedy is really spiritual for me and I feel really connected to the audience members and I feel like I'm speaking about truth and I'm also listening so it's like the same stuff that I was interested in I just found it elsewhere but this is such a long answer to your question but I think it's all important to the then so like fast forward truly 20 years 20 years of my life I'm like super catholic 20 years of my life I'm not the pandemic is going on I have gone through like a pretty brutal divorce. Yeah. I Same. have attention and interest around my opinions and my life experience, but not somewhere else to go for guidance. And so there was just like this real like loneliness and like a true bottoming out that happened. And it was from that place that I realized that like, you know, the way I have been connecting to spirituality is sort of like as a, leader you know I like stand up in the room and everybody else is quiet and then I talk but that's really tiring after a while 
and I just wanted some like solace. And so then I went back looking in the places that I had left to see what was there. I mean, I have a million questions about that. <laughs> just a million. And first of all, I can identify with so much of what you were saying. I lost a 26 year marriage in the pandemic. And I'm also looked to as the voice in the room in general. And when that well runs dry, what is there? I'm so curious how you found some of those faith spaces that you returned to after a 20 year hiatus. Did it feel different? Did it feel more true or less true? Were the comforting parts what you remembered or were there new comforting parts? What did you do with your cognitive dissonance? What did you do with your doubt and in whatever ways that your beliefs had changed or shifted? Like, how did you settle back in being a grown-up with very different and evolved and varied perspectives than when you left in the first place. That's a lot. Pick one. Yeah. Whatever I just said, I I, I, I threw 40 at you. Just pick one. Yes. I love it. So the first thing that I did was I, and it's like mystical that this even occurred to me, but the first thing that I did was, so every, all schools were online and I was very curious. I had had this, the head of the theology department when I was at BC was somebody I really loved and connected with. And I had some curiosity around what that person was up to now. I was like, I wonder what they're doing now. And it was just one random day. And I Googled this, I Googled this professor and he was teaching a class at BC that summer. Like it started in like two weeks or something or like the next, literally like so soon. And it was titled Forgiveness. It was like a online week long summer course titled forgiveness. And I emailed him and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but I was a student 20 years ago and, you know, I, I'm not enrolled at the university. I'm just wondering like if I could audit this class and he wrote me back, I don't know, like an hour later. And he was like, Oh, first of all, I followed your career and I was just listening to you on NPR because I had just Weird. written a book. Oh and it gosh. had been covered on NPR. And he was like, I, I was just listening to NPR and like, yeah, just come take the class. And no problem. And also, by the way, what's your phone number? Like, do you want to talk? And so we started having conversations and meeting on Zoom. I took his class. We're still friends. Like we we were literally, we were like emailing yesterday to try to figure out if either of us might be in each other's town to dinner together. So this class on forgiveness, it wasn't that I took it and then I felt like all the questions that I had were answered, but it was more just being in an environment where I remembered what I liked about it, which is that people were showing up to ask questions. People were in the same zone I was of like, what human wisdom exists on this topic and doing the outside reading to kind of prep themselves for that space. And I do think that that curiosity exists outside of those spaces. Like now that I am sort of more open about the fact that this is part of what's in my life, like you and I are talking on this podcast. But before that, I was just kind of talking to stand-up comics and bars. So I just didn't have access to those kinds of conversations. I found myself back in those rooms and it's like, I don't think that those other students and I agree on everything. But I'm very curious, you know, there were some students that were enrolled that were Chinese nuns. They would be like dissidents. That would be politically radical. And 
I think that's the kind of person where I'm just like, what are you doing here? And like anything that you have to say about life, I would love to listen to. Yeah. That like curiosity about one another and even just curiosity about the questions is such a better way to live. I think this sort of open-handed, open-minded, not necessarily craving the certainty that I don't know for you, but it used to be a comfort to me. Certainty used to make me feel safe and kind of like, it felt like guardrails around me in the way that I knew what the rules were and I knew what to do and not to do. And then those began to lose their appeal, of course, and then became their own prison ultimately. But curiosity is a completely different posture. And I love it. It has opened me up to learn and to listen and to experience other people's perspectives. And to me, this is the way to do it. And I love that this is finding a new sort of spot on your plate. And thanks for being willing to talk through that and share it. Like, I was just going to say on the thing about what you're saying about curiosity, you know, like I was raised in a family where I was taught the only people that we should trust to a certain degree was the family. And then I was also raised in a religion where like, I mean, that's true of Catholicism too. It's not one of those, at least the type of Catholicism I was originally raised in. And then eventually I moved to this like far left, but it's like, everybody else is wrong. This idea that it's like, and also like, they're gonna go to hell. So like, what a bummer. (laughs) It's like a big deal, you know? Like, Um, we were born into the right place. (laughs) Yeah, 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 same. Exactly. So I think that, I don't know if it's those things. It's a lot of other stuff too, but what I am always craving is like to get across some finish line and feel totally safe with like my community that never rejects me and never changes. And we're like, it's an arrival and I have something I'm supposed to do every day and everybody's going to be there. And it's not like, I just am, I think I'm looking for this thing in my like deep gut that doesn't exist. I think that's actually like a death fantasy. Like the only time your to-do list is like, really fully checked off is like when you're no longer with us. And so I think that thing is actually antithetical to life. And that is why I'm attempting to shift more toward curiosity and like having this stability with myself as opposed to looking like for this perfect team. That's absolutely same there. Absolute same. You applied that rubric really even to your own self when you decided to like stay curious and honest and truthful and examine your own sexuality you decided to come out when you did to whatever degree that was accepted or rejected uh 100 rejected <laughs> would you be willing to talk about that for a minute sure, yeah. that, how old you were and how that i mean i i understand the community you were raised in i wasn't raised catholic i was raised southern baptist but very similar like a uh, spiritual hierarchy, spiritual authority, only the men had essentially in and out, right and wrong. This is what we do. You definitely can't be gay. So yeah, I understand a lot about how you were raised. I wonder if you could talk about that sort of coming really out process to yourself and to everybody else. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was long and bumpy because I had dated men. I had had boyfriends. You know, my boyfriend and I in high school, we were a class couple. So it was like, of course, I was a whole, sure. it was a whole, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, do you know, this is like, I, he was the captain of the football team and I was the mascot. Sure. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> I can't. 
No. It's, it's my real life. Anyway, God, um, it's, it's like a it's like a little scene in a movie. I know, I know, uh-huh. but it's my real life. Yep, it's a real yeah. life. That's the truth. Anyway, so I I got to college and I just like fell in love with a woman. And can I ask you a question? Uh-huh. Did, is that something you knew internally in high school or did it no. feel confusing to you then? I didn't have any awareness of sexuality in general. Never had sex ed. Didn't understand that people with vaginas could have orgasms. Like I didn't know about my own biology. I, you know, I really like thought premarital sex was wrong. So it was convenient that I didn't want to have it because I just could be like holy, you know, like, so, so there was a lot of missable stuff. And also this is like, I, you know, I was in the, I was in high school, I graduated in 2000. So I was in high school in the late nineties and, you know, not having sex ed, not having a family that really talked about anything in this area openly. And then there was no internet for resources. The, the thing that you could look to was like Cosmopolitan magazine. But all of those articles were about like how to make your boyfriend happy by doing these seven tricks in bed. So there was like no acknowledgement that my body even existed or that I might have like sexual feelings. So like I just was in love with my best friends, but I, not all of them, but like there was a series of best friends I was in love with. And I just didn't understand that that felt different than what my other friends were. It was a different time. I know people are hearing that thinking, how is that possible? It is possible. That was a different time. (laughs) And also there was not representation. There was nobody on television. Shows, our commercials, like it was different. Like whatever world we lived in is the one we saw mostly. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to watch Ellen. And also I think that, I think that if you're cultured and raised as a boy and you're a queer person, I think people tell you if they notice anything about you that seems queer. Oh, that's interesting. Like you're kind Hmm. of bullied specifically for that. I was bullied for like body stuff because it is socially permissible for girls to like sleep in the same bed at a sleepover. Again, it's like really confusing. (laughs) So anyway, I had no idea. I got to college. I fell in love with this woman. I didn't even know that that's what was actually happening until we were like kissing. And then after we were kissing, I was still trying to date men and I still like was closeted and had a public boyfriend. So, I mean, things were confusing for a real long time. This is why when anybody who's like, why do we need to have these characters on TV or like stop shoving it down my throat? And it's like, well, this is actually just the world. It it isn't an agenda. It's just literally a representation. Yes. (laughs) Like, yes. So to not have those characters is actually to remove us from the world. It's not additive of people who don't exist in your community. That's it's, so good. If we're not there, you've removed us. That's right. My 22 year old daughter is queer. And I was talking about representation one time publicly. And I was like, Hey guys, guess what? I don't mean to shock you. Cause we were talking about representation, just like in the ordinary space, commercials, advertisements. I'm like, I do not mean to shock you, but gay people brush their teeth. I know, like, I know I don't do, do what you will with it, but like, they also have like gum health. Okay. And they, they deserve toothpaste. So it matters. Like the world that my kids see right now is not the one that you and I saw. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's good movement. And it's corrective for mistakes that have been made in the past, as opposed to moving forward. I think about like the Gina 
Davis Institute, which is they study women in television and film. And they did this poll where they were trying to understand what percentage of people featured on screen are men versus women. And I don't think that they had a gender expansive view at the time, because this is from a few years ago, but 17% of the people in crowd scenes are women. And this is not different in animation. So even when we draw what we think the world looks like, and we're 50, I mean, again, this is not necessarily accounting for non-binary folks, but, but, but women are 51% of the population. So when we look at TV and then there's like suddenly people freak out, oh my God, there's so many women in this show. It's like, well, that's just because you've been watching TV that doesn't look like the world. That's so interesting. Anyway, I could talk about anything for a really long time. So please keep me on track. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I love it. Thanks for your candor. I would like to talk a little bit with you about... So you had a girlfriend that you accidentally fell in love with while still having the public facing boyfriend in college. Eventually, I don't know how long it took you to be like, wait a minute. I like girls like officially. Yes. That's officially my deal. Was it years? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear about once you felt pretty clear in your identity, more clear, I should say, what was dating like for you? Because again, you weren't in the wild west, like people <laughs> before our generation, but you were also in this day and age, which it's different and right. it's more accessible and it is easier. And there's so much more to look at and to learn from. You were still kind of feeling your way around. Such a good question. You know, what was it like? Well, here's something I think is interesting is that like, so I've like never used the internet for dating at all. I've never been on an app at all, which I think is actually unusual for somebody. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Part of that is very early. Like I got my first job in comedy the day after I graduated from college. So very early I had, I think a different opportunity than most folks to meet people. And so I have always had a lot of options in dating. And I know it's not just because like, I think I do a, a job that's attractive. Like it, it literally attract the word attract, it attracts people in to, to watch. And then I think I'm somebody that has always had, even in, you know, if it's just a local community, a different amount of visibility. So like, if people are trying to figure out how to meet another queer person, then they can like look around the bar and be like, well, one of them is on stage. So I guess we'll just That's go right. with the really obvious one, you know, like, <laughs> so, so, then, <laughs> so one thing that I have not 
had actually a ton of opportunity to do is be single. This has just not been a big part of my life. And that's something that I, I'm actually like, I'm, I'm actually remarried. That divorce happened like several years before the pandemic. And then the feelings merged into the pandemic. And so now it's been a lot of years and I'm actually, I'm remarried. And some of that is like the age that the divorce happened. And then sort of how I felt like I was right at the part in my life where I wanted to like create stability and create a family and create a household. And, and then I met this wonderful person, but I wonder if I was maybe like a little older and I already had kids or something like that, or if I was a little younger and I was more wild, like if that would have been a bigger dating time for me in there. Mm. It's so interesting to try to do the postmortem on your own, like first marriage and divorce. Cause <laughs> same God. like, it's so weird because first of all, we're looking in the rearview mirror. Second of all, it's my rearview mirror and I see it a certain way. And I don't know how self-aware I was at the time. How old were you when you got married first? Well, again, I was 35 when I got married. Some of that is also, this is wild. Cause I know we're going to forget this. I'm not saying you're forgetting this, but. I forget this. That was sort of like the soonest it could happen legally. Oh, like, of course. I bet. I mean, I, I lived in Massachusetts when Massachusetts became the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. And I was super duper young. And so I didn't marry my girlfriend, even though I like was on the state house steps watching the first couples come out. And I was, and I did say to her, like, should we just like do it? So, <laughs> but I'm really glad, I'm really glad we didn't because I was 22. And then I moved to Chicago where it was illegal. For a lot of years. And so I had people I dated and lived with. How old were you? I feel like I, I can't tell person. you. I literally can't tell you. I, I mean, I can, and I'm about to, I came up through such a merry young culture, like where marriage is paramount. I mean, that's it. That's what you do. And you lock that down as soon as you can. And you start doing the thing and building. Okay, fine. I was 19. I was a literal teenager. Yes. I mean that it's, it's like surprising and it's not surprising. Yeah, exactly. My community a little older than that. Like, yeah, was, that's right. I went to a lot of weddings right after the year, like 22, year, 23, the 24 after yeah. college graduation. Yeah. That yeah. was the big ones when people, yes. were, and, and I had a friend who met her then husband at, in that era at a bachelor in spinsters ball that she attended. Like she was two, two. The, the age 22 and so Spinsters fall I can't yeah what I think the doing? only difference is the there was an expectation of a college graduation prior in the different communities that I grew up in but other than that it was like then right after that get married so that also made it weird to be a gay person because then I was like well, what do I do what's what my am I supposed to do yeah yeah what's my path yeah. I mean, genuinely, you didn't yeah. have one at the yeah. time there. Yeah. I mean, you did, you had a path. You could be in love and be in partnership and live together, but you didn't have a marriage path at the time. And, and then of course you also didn't have wide reaching acceptance inside your subculture. And so you had to negotiate your own sense of belonging because you probably knew if I'm true, if I'm out, if I'm living in integration and in alignment with who I actually am, I am going to experience some rejection from the community that raised me. I just am. Yeah. And you probably did. Yeah. It already had happened because this is part of why I like stayed closeted in college is that 
there was no protection in the non-discrimination policy at BC at the time. So you could be like, you could, you could be removed from the faculty for being gay. And when I did tell my parents, it went, it went really badly. It was bad for a bunch of years. And now it is, I don't even know how to describe it. Cause it's like, clearly my parents are okay with who I am. Like, that's like, that just feels like such a given at this point, but yeah, it just was not true for a long time. And it wasn't true for my friends for a long time. So, and then even in terms of what you're talking about, it's like, I guess people lived together and stuff like that. But like, I didn't even know, like, could you, can you rent an apartment and you go see it? And there's two, there's two in your queer. And by the way, that housing discrimination is a real thing. Like that does actually happen. And it's legal in many states to discriminate. You're right. It wasn't just a preference to stay in the closet or a fear-based response. It was literally probably in a lot of ways for your own protection, which yeah, it was really it's so weird. Crazy. That wasn't even that long ago, you know? And some I of know. it's still on the books. I'm from now. <laughs> You're from now. You're in the now times. I know. And so, yeah, it's kind of shocking. It is shocking. I mean, technically by birthday, I'm a millennial. I mean, I'm the, I'm the oldest. You barely awesome. made it. I am the like, honestly, oldest. Honestly, you barely made it. I am, I am the, the yeah. oldest and the yes. most geriatric millennial, but I am technically a millennial. And You're the crankiest of the crew. Yes. Like, <laughs> willing to like, I it. do <laughs> use TikTok, you know, like, so, so I am still from now. I'm going to ask you this question and, and you can feel free to say like, nah, I don't want to answer that. I wonder if we can talk about enjoying sex and negotiating Great. boundaries with our bodies. Even though I'm straight and you're queer, we both kind of came up through purity culture where everybody was like, we don't have sex until we're married. Ah. And of course uh, the onus was put on girls. And also that pushed a lot of us who were kind of rule followers and precious into young marriages because yes, right. we felt like that was the only safe place for that to belong. Anyway, whatever, man, like I got divorced two years ago after 26 years and so now I'm out here in this new world as a grown lady, grown with all my brain developed and in a relationship with an incredible person. And so this whole conversation around like sex, our bodies, when what we came up through was a culture that had a lot of shame baked into the, all those ideas. And then particularly you have this interesting overlay as a gay person, like you got a whole 10 extra layers on top. So of I actually think here's what I will say. Well, first of all, are you having fun? Is it good? Are you having a good time? Oh my God. Like I wouldn't have gotten here in the way I got here. I wouldn't have written the script in the way it was written for me and handed to me and went, this is your new life for a million dollars for $10 million. However, now that I am here and I'm recovered and I've got my feet back under, yes, I, I'm like, I love grown up me in this world. I, I love a grown up man in this world. How exciting is this? It's Yeah, that's best. really cool. I'm so yes. happy for you. Everything's up for negotiation now. That, I actually think I had an easier time with this. This is my assumption that it was probably better for me than it was for you. And I'm basing that's interesting. on my straight sisters and the, you know, the friends that I had in, in different school environments who ended up being straight because all of that nonsense that we were talking about earlier. So when I came out, I then got to be part of, when I realized who I was, I got to be part of this whole community that like has no standard sex act where like 
sex is really talked about in a different way where like people move their bodies around at, you know, at a pride event or you're like encouraged to go to a sex toy store with your partner. That's not weird. And it's not like a thing where you're with a man and he's going to feel like what's wrong with his penis. If you like need an, it's like, it's a totally different. Uh So what you mean? openness to conversation and it's like actually baked into the culture like queer culture isn't actually about sex but because it's been criminalized and othered it also was like embraced and the culture was built around it so it's like been this amazing gift for somebody that was raised like us because then I got to like really think about consent I got to like really think about what I like I got to really think about like, I now know that people with vaginas can have orgasms. They like, can. They sure can. It's so, such an exciting bit of uh-huh. news. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually learned that pretty early. Sure, after sure. Beginning yes. to date women. Yeah. And so I will say that, like, one of the things when I think about something like what's happening in Florida with, like, don't say gay or, like, we can't acknowledge these things in schools. Yes, it harms the queer folks who are in those schools. But when we don't talk about sex in school... That harms statistically more straight people because more people are straight (laughs) and not talking about sex hurts everybody. And like, yes, women, I guess, because of the thing where we're like, you know, supposed to beat back the dude who wants to pursue us. But like, what is it also like for that guy who has absolutely no instructions and is like totally just trying to like jam their tongue down somebody's throat and like hope that person's willing? I mean, this is all insanity. It's insanity that this is what we have accepted as a culture. Mm. 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 It's so true. Like <laughs> the whole posture toward silence being a appropriate response toward sexuality is it's wildly harmful. And also we, that's been the, this isn't new. I mean, a lot of us grew up in a silent purity culture. And it was to devastating effect. Like, let's just look at the data, (laughs) just look at the data. And I think we can agree that this has been a catastrophic approach and it's really daunting right now to watch some of it roll backwards where I thought we had made such gigantic, I thought permanent strides. And now to see so much back on the chopping block of public discourse is it's so disorienting. I applaud women who though are willing even a second time around in a second chance scenario like I have. And in some ways you do because you're remarried. We're going to talk about that in a second. To reimagine their sexuality, to reimagine their own bodies, their own pleasure, what they want, they count, they matter. To take shame like out of the equation. What a wonderful like new frontier it has been. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about you. You've And I both actually went through kind of a, public facing difficult divorce. We have, we have a lot of eyes on us. And for me, I had really baked in a lot of marriage and family material content and even instruction yes. in my whole world. So that felt yeah. great. That felt really great. <laughs> I loved that for me, but you opened yourself back up and I don't know if you were looking for it when it arrived, but love found you. And you remarried during the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about this process for you? Were you scared? 
were you gun shy? Did you ever say something reactionary? Like I'm never doing this again. Or like, I'm never getting married again. Cause I've said some things like that. I don't even believe my own self, but I'd like to hear your story of like second, second go around. When you were saying that you were like giving instructions or whatever, I just want to pause on that for a second and just say like, I mean, yes, I literally had a TV show that was called take my wife. <laughs> it was me and my ex-spouse. So it's, it's all fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's all fine. But what I, what will I say? I think what's one thing I'll just say is that like, what I'm hoping is that we could get to a place where it's like, that is, that, that was actually my, my best advice at the time. That was actually like how I was doing it at the time. That actually was working at the time. That's good. That's or a very like, it wasn't working. response to that. Yeah. Or it wasn't working, but I, I didn't know that at the time. So I, I do think that that's like something that is interesting for folks who have like a public positioning around all of this. Like, yeah, we're also allowed to, to like learn, grow. We're also allowed to have like, I don't even know if the right, I don't even know if make mistakes make sense because it's like, how could that have been a mistake if I didn't choose to avoid it? Turns out we were living a life like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I, life looks like. Exactly. Yes. Then like, that's true for anybody, right? Is that like, everybody's just living their life. And I think I just felt like divorce was such a failure. I felt like yeah, such I a did failure. Too. And I just don't know that that is anything. I had a lot of people talk to me since and I asked for a lot of help around that. And Me too. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't either. But I did at first. Yes. And I also decided not to apply the emotion of regret to any of it because I did I couldn't make that make sense. I'm like, what am I going to regret? I'm going to regret the family we built, or I'm going to regret the life I've had. I, I don't even know how to think of that. I can't even unspool it and create a new one. So I'm not going to say regret. I have what I have and I am where I'm at. And those choices were a part of it. And I don't regret those at all. So I have also learned to take the posture of a learner. What can I learn from this? Also, It sucks too, because at first, and this was easier and justified, I was able to say, this is, I didn't do any of this. This isn't my fault. I'm on the victim end of this. This was done unto me, but honesty and growth means going, okay, what parts of this was I a co-creator? What do I own here? And there's plenty, plenty. What did I not choose to tell the truth about even to myself? What was I willing to ignore or pretend about? What were my patterns that if I don't fix it, I'm going to take them into the next one? Oh, that sucks. Yeah, this is I, why counseling right. sucks. I was with my counselor <laughs> this very morning, this very morning. Yeah. And I was like, I feel an old pattern rising up in me and I kind of want to act this way. And, it's, and she's like, well, let's celebrate that you are recognizing <laughs> your pattern before you repeat it. I'm 100%. like, fine, yeah, fine. Let's celebrate that. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me to try to work through was just anger. Like I felt so, so angry. I mean, I still have some anger and I think that's a lot to hold when it's directed at this person that previously was your best person. I think that's, I think that's one thing that makes divorce so difficult because it is, I think the grief in that is pretty huge and also pretty like unheld. We don't always know how to deal with it like perfectly, but if somebody dies and is like erased from the planet, then we can go to that person's people and we have like, it's a little more clean to understand that that person might feel grief. I think, I think in the case of divorce, I think that that can get really muddled for folks. 
that grief is a beast yeah, and hard is. to know what to do with. Yes. So that, to answer your question about getting remarried, that was the stuff that was the biggest thing to deal with. It wasn't that like, I thought oh, I'll never get married again. It was more so just like, it's some of the stuff you were just talking about, like being in a place of like, just being stuck in my own anger, like in stuck in anger where it's like, I'm just having a conversation with myself. That person isn't even here. I'm like yelling at nobody. Oh, that's right. Alone in a house, you know, like just like, Oh yeah. I'm familiar. Just, is this the life that you would like? And actually this is the moment where then I like Googled and found this class that was called forgiveness. And I was like, okay, well, thank you the universe because that's exactly what I'm curious about. And that's the path that I've really been following is like anything that leads to forgiveness, not just toward this person, but then it's like, okay, well then what about the people that like hurt me when I was in college? What about the faith I grew up in? What about my parents who I actually really love, but I still, and like, I'm still really connected to, we have a great relationship, but this thing also happened. They also did this other thing. So I think in trying again it's really been from a place of attempting to value joy interest and future focus over some sort of a like revenge yeah. fantasy on the yeah. whole world and those only feel good for a minute you know, they have a pretty quick <laughs> ROI, like a pretty quick return on investment. I got stuck in that zone for such a long time. That is, I was in that zone for a long time. But you know, this sentence, it's like, they'll, like, they'll regret this or whatever. Like, the, you know. <laughs> totally. Oh, man. Again, to your earlier point, I have a generous posture toward our responses to pain now that they're a little bit behind me which is pain hurts because it's painful. And sometimes those lower level responses, revenge, anger, I don't even call anger lower level, only if it lasts too long, whatever it is, they have their place. They have their place. They get us through shock and even trauma until we can clear a little bit of room for actual healing, actual forgiveness, the stuff that'll go, go the distance. I think it's a short-term sprint, some of those reactions, and I'm okay that we had them. But yeah, I do prefer moving forward from a place of, let's say, wholeness, optimism even. This feels better. Well, and also if not able to be in that place, like if, I think that what I realized is that I was actually living my life like for other people, right? So like if my whole life is like a revenge against the Catholic church, then it's like, then my epitaph is, you know, like, the Catholic church. Like, it's just like, that's the point of my life. What a bummer what to a bummer. live my life. Like that's right. Directed at others as opposed to just like for what I believe. That's right. It's the difference between sort of living against something or living for there we go. something. Yeah, there you know we go. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. There's a lot of energy baked into against. I get it. I get its appeal. Oh like gosh, if it's kind of said, outrage, yeah. you know, it's yes. kind of like fury, which yes. is a lot of adrenaline, which gives yes. us a lot of oomph, but it's also really tiring. Also, it lacks a lot of joy. It, oh you just God, sacrifice this, it. This is so well, it's like the character of Twitter versus the character of Instagram. Like, that's right. For, like, That's I just good. Twitter is That's literally good. like, Say less. here's the stuff we hate. 
And then Instagram is like, but have you thought about a sunset? You know, so it's a brownie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's so true. I quit Twitter two years ago for this reason. Twitter is terrible. I quit it. I just went, I understand this is a big portion of my job is this (laughs) huge community on Twitter. But every time I'm here, I hate everyone. I hate you. I hate myself. I hate the world. Like I, I just, I had to choose a different way of moving forward. And you're so right. And it's wonderful. Also, I think about, are you 40? How old are you? 41? 40. Yeah. 40. Okay. We're better now. We are like 40 year old. You is better than 35 year old. You we're kinder and we're wiser and we're more gentle and we're more mature. I'm more willing to admit where I'm wrong and what I need to change and what belongs to me than I was even five or 10 years ago too. And so I think there is something to be said in relationships to say this one that we had, that we chose, that we even married, it had its place. It served us. It gave us virtually everything it could give us for good and for bad. And it just ran its course. Like it ran its course. And this is the new iteration. And I'd much prefer me right now in the relationship I am in and how I am in it. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool relief and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners. Only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L. Because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Did you know more than 75% of Americans experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% seek out a solution for that pain? Your feet don't have to hurt. So let me tell you about Superfeet. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot. From cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive, you can dial in your fit by taking their quick quiz online. Answer just a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. Foot biomechanics may be complex, but solving foot pain should be simple. So when you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. When your feet feel good, so do you. Your foot health is an important part of your overall well-being. 
Visit superfeet.com and enter the promo code FTL at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. I'm obsessed. My friend Chelsea was wearing the softest cashmere sweater in that perfect weight for spring. She told me it was under $50 made by a fantastic company named Quince. And I could shop for my laptop which is my dream. So I immediately ordered the cashmere tee. Now I want it in every color. Quince offers staple pieces like Chelsea's Mongolian cashmere sweater, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, classic like 14 karat gold jewelry. You can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials, but unbeatable prices. You guys, seriously, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And I know what you're thinking, but Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible practices and premium fabrics, which I love. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash hatmaker for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash hatmaker to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash hatmaker. I wonder if you, I just feel like I virtually have to ask you this as we start to land the plane here. This new space that you're in, this new chapter, this, this new marriage, you renegotiated essentially a new relationship with your body and your gender. And yeah, that's right. can you talk about that a little bit? I think it's powerful and instructive and you're, you're modeling something that I feel like a lot of people have a lot of internal dissonance around and don't either have the language for it or know what to do with it. And it seems like to me, you are saying I am wise enough and mature enough to say this about myself. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the, the word maturity is definitely in there. So, you know, I met, I met, my wife is very gentle with me and that is not a treatment that I have experienced for a lot of my life. My parents are great. They are also very motivating. They demand a lot of themselves and there was a lot of achievement focus. And I think that any chance I would have had to process feelings I had about my body, my gender, like all those things. It just, it just was like, <laughs> like cute. If you want to spend time on that, but like, we have to go to swim practice and then right after <laughs> that, you're going to softball and then you're going to walk from there to soccer, you know, That's like, right. so there was just a lot of action going on, Got it. not a ton of reflection. And I think I was just walking around pretty hurt for a long time without knowing that that's what was going on. I started doing a lot of work on myself in going through my divorce, like a ton of work. And then I also was looking around to see what kind of spiritual teaching there was. And then I also met this person who just, she's just slow and gentle and like, she sees what's going on. I'm like kind of speeding off a cliff at all times, but in like a very charming way. Me too. <laughs> We're lovable in that way. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Like she just texted me and just showed up in my, she just texted me. Can you think of a fun fact about me? I don't know what that means. I'm it's sure so it has something to do with her work, but it's very sweet. It's so sweet. So anyway, I, I had all of those. I'm like getting sort of a little more gentleness and then I'm developing a little more gentleness with myself. And then I, in the midst of all that, then I got this big job this year. I was on an ABC show called a million little things. I had to take my shirt off on television, which I, had never done on TV before. And it just all sort of led to this place where I realized like how much I have been walking through the world armored up. Like, you know, my folks growing up were like, essentially like, make them love you. And I'm like, got it, you know? And then I chose a job where that's 
what the job says, you know? And then initially I chose a partner where we kind of said that back and forth to each other. And there was a lot that was great about that marriage, but softness on either side wasn't, wasn't really there. And I don't think I've let myself be soft just many times in my life. I have over and over again made the opposite decision to be hard, harder, harder, more leather jackets. And yeah, that's what I'm undoing right now. And I mean, like, it does feel like spiritually I've been shirtless on television for like a few years now, (laughs) just like more bare and then it's wild that that would actually happen in life, you know, in reality outside of that spiritual zone. I love this for you. Yeah. Thank you. And so so self-esteem, that's the goal working on self-esteem. Well, that matters. Like, I think that has kind of a bad rap of being just very self-centric and very like navel gazing. But when we handle that with care, treat it with the respect that it deserves. Literally everybody around us flourishes because of it. It affects our relationships. I mean, that's, that's a great good for everybody that has to deal with us. Oh my God. That's right. Right. Like that we have that in hand and we're protecting that and thus makes us better partners, better wives, better friends and sisters and daughters. And so better leaders, frankly, because both of us are in leadership spaces where people listen to what we say, which is dumb, but they do. Yeah, it means I need less from you. Like if I uh, totally. like myself, then we can just be having a different conversation. That's right. They like get it to just be free to yes. <laughs> not do your heavy lifting. Exactly. Yeah. Oh gosh. This is what therapies taught me. Listen, our therapists, man, they have job security. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, you're awesome. You're awesome. I like you so much. Oh, so much saying. I, <laughs> you, you could only know the things I have left that I want to talk to you about, but we got to go because we have lives. We, gotta go. we have to, we got to yeah. go, but I want to ask you one final question. Okay. And I want you to answer this however you want. I ask all my guests this question. And so I borrowed it from an Episcopalian priest who I love. This is her question. And she's like out here kind of like with these sort of wilderness earthy priests answer this Ooh. absurdly, genuinely, okay. anything okay. in between. All right. What is saving your life right now? <laughs> what is saving my life right now? Yeah. I this is honestly the I can't believe this is the thing I'm gonna say. It's just really it. is what's off the top of my head. Because usually, like in the last couple of weeks, I've been a little laid up because I had outpatient surgical procedure and I hate to relax. It is my least developed skill. <laughs> I hate to relax. But I've been watching Gordon Ramsay's Hotel Hell, and it is such a good show. <laughs> And I honestly love anything that Gordon Ramsay does because that man, he's so good at being what I think is genuine. But here's what I will say that there is a a spiritual underbelly to this, which is just like anybody who can be with me in my most difficult moments. And one of my most difficult moments is actually letting myself off the hook and relaxing. So right now, Gordon is in me, is in, is not in me. No is in is with me in those moments. And okay. I really appreciate that. He is I like love this. giving me a chance to lay on the couch, which I hate to do, and being with me in that moment. It is a spiritual experience that we are having together that he does not know about. This is but, phenomenal. For the rest of your life, when you see Gordon and specifically this show, this is what you're going to think of. You're going to think about these couple of weeks. Absolutely. Like, he was like, your companion. And you know who was with me during my d- divorce? Meredith Grey. And it does, 
matter. This is why something like a podcast matters. So we might be this for somebody. We don't know. We don't Maybe know. Maybe we're on the couch with somebody right now. I promise you that we are. <laughs> I promise you somebody is sitting in their car in park, unwilling to go inside until this conversation's over. I, oh that's God. how this works. Right. And so people <laughs> hold up lanterns for us and then we hold them up for people behind us. And <laughs> then that's go. how it goes. Like yeah. that's how we like the way. Okay. A huge fan of you. Absolutely. Think you are incredible. I love what you're doing. Like, I love who you are. I love your candor. You're obviously so funny. I'm so gifted a comic and actor. And so thank you for giving like an hour of your time to our show. I am thrilled about it and always cheering you on any way I can ever like bang the drum for you. You holler. Oh my God. Well, I mean, mouth agape. You're amazing. So like, thank you so much for your time and for having me. Okay, Cameron. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Jen. Okay. I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. I mean, when I tell you, I could have picked any one of those areas and built out three podcasts with Cameron around any one of them. I mean, any of it, like faith, deconstruction and reconstruction. We could have gone on and on and on about comedy and acting and performing. We could have talked about marriage and divorce. We could have talked about remarriage and finding love again. I mean, it was just all in there. So thanks for like being on the roller coaster ride with us. I just, I loved everything she had to say. And I just wanted her to keep talking because she's just so vibrant and bright. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And if you're not already watching her over on ABC on a million little things, get over there. You can also watch this podcast over on my YouTube channel. If you'd like to see Cameron and watch our conversation, we'll see what she looks like and our body language and our laughter and our facial expressions, go over to my YouTube channel. And every podcast is visually recorded as well, or obviously right into your little earbuds if you just want to listen to it. So thanks for listening. This series continues to delight me and stretch me and challenge me and help me feel comforted and seen. And I hope it's doing the same for you more to come. Don't miss any. If you've missed any episodes in the love and dating and sex and relationship series, go back and pick them up. And speaking of, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, today is the day. Just hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and this will show up for you week after week without you trying for it at all in your phone. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for being the best podcast community in the entire world. Laura and her team and Amanda and I love you so much and we love to serve you and we love to build this space. We're constantly dreaming up new dreams and we have so much in store for you for the rest of this year. All right, you guys, that's it. See you next week. 